This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank, the International Leaders Summit. I am Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. You can subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. We thank you for tuning in to America's Roundtable. This is America's Roundtable, and we're delighted to have a special guest join us this weekend, the July the 4th weekend. Ambassador Ken Blackwell is the former mayor of Cincinnati. He served as Secretary of State and State Treasurer for the great state of Ohio, and as former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Human Rights Commission. Ambassador Ken Blackwell, we are truly honored to have you join us on America's Roundtable, and especially on this 4th of July weekend, Welcome, Ambassador Blackwell. Welcome, Ambassador. It is my pleasure to be with you both, and happy Independence Day weekend for to both of you all. Greatest challenge we, we face in the 244th year of America's independence is do we have the individual and united moral courage to check the ever-increasing capacity for self-destruction? Our, our united uh, political engagement is required at the intersections of politics and governance if we are to preserve the existential greatness of the United States of America. As we reflect on our American cities today, we continue to witness protests supporting the Black Lives Movement in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, which we know was very horrific and and tragic. And in fact, for our listeners in Michigan, the Midwest, and across America, many have seen through broadcast images of small retail businesses burned to the ground in urban areas and the confrontation by protesters entering business establishments, restaurants, and just creating mayhem. Indeed, in the United States of America, we are a blessed nation, as you mentioned. And indeed, when comparing our nation to the great number of countries around the world, we have our founding documents, the U.S. Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, which articulate timeless principles, the significance of the rule of law protecting life, liberty, and private property. Ambassador Blackwell, from your vantage point, serving as mayor of a city and cabinet member of the state of Ohio, what do you see as the root causes and the real problems of this manifestation on the streets of America in these select cities. We stand in the gap as a people. Uh, I always talk about the pursuit of moral coherence, where we get our behaviors to line up with the ideals and and values uh, that actually have advanced us as the most prosperous and most diverse uh, democracy, constitutional republic in all of of human history. Uh, And so we start off with the fact that we're not a perfect union, but we are perfectible. Uh, And so we, we can't be locked into a distant moment of history and act as if there has not been historical progress uh, towards the better nature of our of our angels. As you just mentioned, the, the, the purpose of government is spelled out in the Declaration of Independence to secure unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which includes the protection of property. And the manifestation of that purpose at the most basic level 
is local government. Uh, it is there to protect life and, and safety and the property of, of citizens. Uh, and the police force, uh, the safety forces, are those components of government uh, that serve that function on a daily basis. And it is because we actually understand that if you abandon the rule of law and you create constant chaos, there is no way that you can pursue justice. And so when we see looters and organized disruptors, uh, terrorists, domestic terrorists, if you will, uh, burn down uh, businesses, put life and property of, of decent citizens at risk, uh, we know that we can't pursue justice, but we also know that we can't further our very measurable progress towards becoming a better, a more perfect union. In 244 years, just think about it. We've come from, you know, where slavery was institutionalized to where we elected, whether you agreed with him or not, a black American to be president of the United States. And ironically, many of the cities that are, that are being disrupted, burned, and property being just ruined, and people stand in, in, in fear are cities where you have minority mayors, black mayors, uh, black police chiefs. <laughs> and as a consequence, uh, what we know is that this whole notion of systemic racism is a boogeyman for an organized change or organized attempt to transform uh, our country from from what it is a constitutional republic uh, that has been in the vanguard of world protection and promotion of human rights to uh, something uh, of a failed or a state where the government more like Western European socialism takes root. Uh, you recently wrote a column with former New York City Police Commissioner Bernard Carrick titled. Democrats have failed the black community for too long. Uh, you raised the question whether there is a truly systemic racism and brutality in our police departments, and you answered, I quote, The real systemic and deadly reality is that black men and women are being slaughtered in cities and communities of color across the country in numbers that can only be compared to war zones in Iraq and Syria. Every single one of those cities have been run by Democrats, and in some cases for as long as 40 years, unquote. Ambassador Blackwell, could you kindly share with our audience about the compelling data which led you to this conclusion? It's very clear. Between 2015 and 2018, Baltimore, for example, averaged 330 homicides per year, in a city that is about a half, a little more than a half million people. Last year in 2019, there were 348 murders. If you t just take a snapshot of the, the death and destruction in these cities and you look at the data, what you find is that most of the black, 95% of the blacks that were killed in these cities were killed by other blacks. If Black lives matter. Why aren't we attacking that slaughter? 
Absolutely. And Ambassador Blackwell, there are voices from the media that are deriding people who raise concerns about the tragedy stemming from violence in cities uh, such as Chicago and the one that you mentioned, Baltimore and other places. And one research paper posted by Harvard titled, I quote, the police and the public discourse on black on black violence, unquote, states the following. And I'll quote this very brief summary. It says police executives, politicians and political commentators need to refer from using overly simplistic descriptions such as black and black, black on black violence when describing outbreaks of serious criminal violence in black neighborhoods because the police represents the most visible face of government and having primary responsibility for maintaining public safety in all neighborhoods. Police executives in particular should avoid framing urban violence in this way, unquote. When we read you know, statements like this that are being put out by Harvard and other very far-left uh, progressive voices, what are your thoughts uh, from this conclusion uh, to even use the term black-on-black violence? Just, that's just foolish, because if, in fact, black lives matter, then the 95% of blacks that were killed by other blacks through mindless, wanton uh, violence you destroy the integrity of your charge, of your, of your purpose. Uh, and so the, this, this notion uh, that when you stop and, and, and take a look, just the destruction of human life in these cities, uh, you can't go to the ivory tower and change the reality by, by blunting the language that is used to describe the loss of life and the destruction of our cities. Look, I was the mayor of a city, and I understood that one of the things that you do to keep what we used to call net taxpayers, people who pay more in taxes than they demand in service, in your economic mix so that you can grow your economy uh, and keep your taxes low so that you have a, a taxing environment that is attractive to, to those folks who, who build wealth and, and, and expand the wealth of, of, of a city, is that what you have to do is to make sure first that your city is safe, then that it has quality uh, education, uh, because once you have dysfunctional schools and you have unsafe neighborhoods, those folks who can move do move. And the folks who are locked into that environment that is unsafe and dysfunctionally dysfunctional educationally or locked in a deadly spiral of hopelessness. And so this, this notion uh, that we can't address all types of violence, uh, and, and, and let me, let's, be, let's be clear, uh, the president and, and, and a great number of us who have worked on these issues for, for years, we understand that there has to be transparency where there has been the, the wrongful use of force. We understand that there must be accountability. The president and the Department of Justice has put in place a proposal and a program that would allow them to track uh, those folks, which is less than 1.5% of the police force that do uh, exhibit uh, not only the wrongful use of force, but racist attitudes to root them out from the process and not allow them to go from 
uh, department to department, city to city, or state to state, that's the sort of concrete steps that you can take to make policing more effective. But to call for the defunding of police departments, you almost have to be stuck on stupid. Exactly. Right. And well stated. Uh, you know, we have seen what has happened in Seattle, for example, and uh, a young 19-year-old boy uh, was killed by the name of Horace Lorenzo Anderson Jr. And this man, a uh, young man's father, was just on national television recently and pleaded for answers. And yet it seems that there is a double standard because this individual's name is not being covered by a left media in America. And why isn't the New York Times asking for questions into how this young man died in what was supposed to be a autonomous zone and, uh, and certainly with the removal of police force and no supervision whatsoever, anarchy ruled? Oh, absolutely. Look... Um, the New York Times, let me just take them. They are, are, are behind a program, a project called the 1619 uh, Project, which basically says that uh, America uh, was born in racism and America is irreparably racist in dire need of total reconstruction. Bob Woodson, I don't know if you know Bob Woodson and I, we've, been, we've worked together for four decades. And Bob started a program, a counter-program called the 1776 Program, which basically understands that we can and we have become a more perfect union. And it starts with uh, realizing uh, that this emphasis on the notion that racism and institutional racism hasn't been dealt with, attacked, lessened, and eliminated. It's being chained to a 1619 reality that no longer exists and flies in the face of facts and reality. I've been blessed to be able to, to, to travel all over the world uh, in over 60 countries. It's no accident. It's easily explainable as to why people fight, scrap, uh, do whatever they can do to come to America. We have been a beacon of freedom. We have, in fact, shown the rest of the world the way through example of how to get better. We, in fact, have established leadership in the world in promoting the rule of law and justice that is blind to, to race. You know, you can't have a black justice or white justice system or a Latino or Asian. It is, it is our system of justice that we, we've constantly improved upon and the freedom of our market economy that has put us in the position to keep getting better. But there are those folks who want to lock us in to 1619 and turn a blind eye to progress and to separate us by the, the, the most narrow uh, distinctions. Uh, the, the whole notion of e pluribus unum from the many one developed around ideals and values, shared ideals and values, is something that is viewed to be thoughts and ways and practices to, to avoid. We embrace them. Because we know that those things, the rule of law, free market, and just a basic belief in the integrity 
of all of human life, not segmented by, you know, racial or ethnic division, is what makes us a place where you don't have to lock people in to stay here. And it is very explicable as to why people rush to come here. Ambassador Blackwell, you have spoken truth. You have reminded us about the American exceptionalism, why people today around the world are standing in line at various embassies across the world wanting to come to America. And truly, we are blessed with great founding documents. And as you've mentioned, we have made significant progress in creating and advancing this perfect union. Ambassador Blackwell, we thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you for your time and joining us on America's Roundtable. And we hope and trust that you will rejoin us in the days to come. And on this 4th of July weekend, a happy Independence Day to you and your dear family members. Thank you, Ambassador Blackwell. Happy uh, Independence Day to you all. And may God continue to bless you with health uh, and happiness. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. is an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit. I'm Jolan Asami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit.